You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The World Economic Forum names AI a top global threat. The SEC suffers a social media breach. The FTC settles with a data broker over location data sales. A massive data leak hits Brazil. Chinese researchers claim an airdrop hack. A major real estate firm suffers data theft. Picabot Loader is seen use by spammers. Ukraine's black hit hits Russia's M9 Telecom. Stuxnet methods are revealed, a Patch Tuesday rundown. Our guest is Tim Eads from the Cyber Mentor Fund to discuss the growing prevalence of restoration as a part of incident response. And hackers could screw up a wrench. It's Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. Thank you all for joining us today. It's good to have you here. The World Economic Forum's latest Global Risks Report identifies AI-driven misinformation and disinformation as the most significant short-term risks to the global economy, democracy, and social stability. Released before the Davos summit, the report, based on a survey of 1,500 experts, highlights the adverse effects of rapidly advancing technology. AI technologies, particularly generative AI chatbots, are facilitating the creation of sophisticated synthetic content, elevating concerns about manipulation and societal polarization. The risk is particularly acute as several countries with large economies, including the U.S., Britain, and India, approach election periods. Carolina Clint, a risk management leader at Marsh, who co-authored the report along with Zurich Insurance Group, emphasizes the potential of AI in exacerbating misinformation, she warns that AI-driven deepfakes and synthetic content could challenge the legitimacy of democratic processes and intensify societal divides. AI also poses risks in cybersecurity, enabling more accessible and sophisticated cyber attacks and embedding biases in AI models through tainted training data. 
generative AI is increasingly becoming a double-edged sword in the realm of cybersecurity. Rob Joyce, director of cybersecurity at NSA, told attendees at an event at Fordham University in New York that this technology significantly enhances the ability of security experts to detect and counteract cyber threats. It's particularly effective in identifying abnormal activities and potentially malicious actors hiding within networks, utilizing large-scale data analysis without the need for constant human oversight. However, the same technology is also being exploited by cybercriminals. They use generative AI to sophisticate frauds, scams, and social engineering attacks, as noted by researchers at Mandiant and Darktrace. These advancements in AI-enabled cyber attacks pose a major challenge, enabling hackers to refine their techniques and launch more personalized and potent attacks. Despite these threats, national security agencies and cybersecurity experts are leveraging AI to improve their defensive capabilities. AI is, of course, not a panacea, as Rob Joyce points out, but it significantly bolsters the effectiveness of skilled practitioners. It assists in real-time detection of cyber attacks, monitors unusual login activities, and can proactively respond to potential threats. AI is even being trained to predict attacks before they occur. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission yesterday fell victim to a breach of their ex-Twitter account, leading to a false announcement of a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund, an ETF. Reports highlight the lack of two-factor authentication on the SEC's main social media account and that the vulnerability was exploited through a SIM swap hack where an attacker gained control of the phone number associated with the SEC's account. This type of attack involves convincing a telecom provider to transfer a victim's phone number to the attacker, allowing them access to various accounts linked to that number. U.S. Senators J.D. Vance and Tom Tillis have expressed serious concerns about the SEC's cybersecurity procedures, demanding an explanation and transparency about the incident. The Federal Trade Commission has reached a settlement with data broker Xmode Social and its successor OutLogic to prohibit them from sharing or selling sensitive location data. This settlement addresses allegations that the companies sold precise location data which could track individuals to sensitive locations, such as medical and reproductive health clinics, places of worship, and domestic abuse shelters. This marks the FTC's first settlement with a data broker over the collection and sale of sensitive location information. The FTC found that Xmode Social and OutLogic failed to implement proper safeguards for the use of such data by third parties. They sold precise location data collected from third-party apps using their software, their own apps, and other data brokers. This data, linked to mobile advertising IDs and not anonymized, could potentially reveal personal and sensitive information about individuals. The FTC's complaint highlighted that until May 2023, there were no policies to exclude sensitive locations from the data sold. The practices exposed consumers to privacy violations, discrimination, and physical or emotional harm. The proposed order requires Xmode and OutLogic to delete or destroy all collected location data unless consumers consent or the data is de-identified. 
They must also develop programs ensuring informed consumer consent, protect sensitive locations, and establish a comprehensive privacy program. The FTC will accept public comments on the agreement before finalizing the order. Researchers at Cyber News have uncovered a massive data leak affecting Brazilian individuals, with over 223 million records exposed, possibly affecting that country's entire population. The leak was found in a publicly accessible Elasticsearch instance and contained sensitive personal data such as full names, dates of birth, gender, and taxpayer identification numbers. The source of the leak has not yet been identified, as the data wasn't linked to any specific company or organization. The data is no longer publicly available, but the potential impact of the leak remains concerning. Chinese researchers, presumably backed by the state, claim to have developed a method to identify users of Apple's AirDrop, the encrypted service that allows content sharing between nearby Apple devices without the Internet. This service was popular during the 2019 Hong Kong pro-democracy protests for its ability to bypass government surveillance. The Beijing municipal government stated that this new technique can uncover an iPhone's encrypted log, revealing the user's phone number and email. Apple limited AirDrop for Chinese users in 2022, introducing a 10-minute time limit for receiving files from unknown contacts. This move aligns with China's extensive digital surveillance efforts, which include mandatory real-name registration for social media and communication services. Apple is often criticized for complying with Chinese regulations. They previously removed a map app used by Hong Kong protesters in 2019, citing safety concerns. Fidelity National Financial, a major real estate services company, has revealed a cyber attack from November of last year, leading to the theft of data from 1.3 million customers and causing a week-long system outage. The firm disclosed in a regulatory filing that an unauthorized party accessed their systems, deployed non-self-propagating malware, and extracted data. The specific nature of the stolen data wasn't detailed, but FNF is offering credit monitoring and identity theft services to affected customers, indicating the data was personal and sensitive. The ransomware group ALFV, also known as Black Cat, claimed responsibility for the attack. FNF managed to contain the attack by November 26th. PikaBot, a loader malware used by the threat group Water Kurapira, has seen increased activity in spam campaigns, especially after the takedown of CACBOT from June to September of 2023. Cybersecurity researchers at Trend Micro have noted a surge in these phishing campaigns targeting Windows machines. PikaBot gains initial access through spam emails, using thread hijacking to appear legitimate and prompt users to open attachments that seem authentic. In an apparent response to Russia's attack on Kyivstar, a Ukrainian hacking group linked to the SBU spy agency attacked a Moscow ISP, M9 Telecom. The group, known as Blackjack, deleted 20 terabytes of data, disrupting internet service in parts of Moscow. They claim the attack is a warm-up retaliation on their Telegram page. M9 Telegram's website is operational despite claims of complete data destruction. 
A two-year investigation by Dutch newspaper De Volkskrant has revealed a Dutch engineer, Eric van Sabben, was reportedly recruited by the Netherlands intelligence agency, AIVD, to deploy the Stuxnet malware in an Iranian nuclear facility back in 2010. Stuxnet targeted Iran's nuclear program, infecting and damaging numerous devices and centrifuges. It's believed Van Sabin planted Stuxnet using a water pump at Natanz's nuclear complex, although the exact method remains uncertain. Van Sabin died in a motorcycle accident two weeks after the Stuxnet attack. Former CIA chief Michael Hayden, while not confirming specifics due to classified information, hinted at the high cost of developing Stuxnet, estimated between $1 and $2 billion. Yesterday was Patch Tuesday, and Microsoft released 49 Patch Tuesday updates for Windows, including two critical flaws. Additionally, Microsoft Edge received patches for four high-severity Chrome flaws. Adobe fixed six important vulnerabilities in Substance 3D's Stager, while SAP addressed various security issues, including two new hot news notes. Cisco updated two privilege escalation CVEs in its identity services engine, but one remains unpatched. Google's Android security bulletin covered 59 CVEs, with the most severe in the framework components, posing a risk of local privilege escalation. If you will indulge me tooting our own horn for just a moment, we're proud to announce that N2K Networks and the nonprofit Women in Cybersecurity Organization have partnered to conduct a comprehensive cyber talent study. The study will utilize the N2K NICE Workforce Diagnostic Assessment to analyze cybersecurity skills among WESIS professional members. Participants will gain insights into their strengths and weaknesses aligned with the NICE Cybersecurity Workforce Framework. You can learn more about the study and the partnership on our CyberWire website. Coming up after the break, Tim Eads from the Cyber Mentor Fund discusses the growing prevalence of restoration as a part of incident response. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. 
And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And it is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Tim Eads. He is the co-founder of the Cyber Mentor Fund and also a serial entrepreneur in the space. Tim, welcome back. Dave, great to be here. So I want to talk today about um, incident response and, and some of the evolution that you are seeing. There's some shift in terminology that's happening. Yeah, there definitely is, Dave. You know, Gartner has proliferated, proliferated this term you know, response, XDR, MDR, MDR, HDR, whatever it is. But the response is kind of, well, what is it? What does it actually do? And it's meant to be broad, but it's not in the terms of the business owner. What, what we should be focusing on now, and I think we will focus on going forward, is restoration or reconstruction, getting the business back up and running. Incident response, you know, obviously is tied to really BI, business interruption. And as you start to see cyber insurance, you know, that market is maturing. I've invested in three different companies in that space at different levels. As cyber insurance starts to mature, it's all about business interruption, getting the business back up and running. So when you see, you know, ransomware attacks, whether it's Caesars or whatever it may be, what people care about is, is yeah, finding the bad guys, understanding the forensics to do it having the fidelity of the forensics to make sure that you extract them out of your network, but they're measured on getting the business back up and running. So response, in my, in my point of view, would be part of it, but really the bigger part is get the business back up and running. And you know, restoration is absolutely key to this. And that's how I think people are going to look at it over the next 10 years. How do you define restoration? I mean, what's, what's the nuance in, in that particular turn of phrase? Well, let me give you an example. So there's a company that we know that, that we're uh, Cyber Mentor Fund, our investor, and that we're very close to. A large food company got uh, compromised recently. They get the call on, I think it was on Monday. They were in there by Tuesday, physically, the engineers were, to extract it. Um, it also got, actually, it was interesting. They got the call from the food company, from the insurance company, and from a forensics company. And they fly in, and their job is to get the business back up and running. Think of it like Colonial Pipeline. When remember, Everybody remembers Colonial Pipeline, particularly if you're on the East Coast. Then you, you sit there like, okay, yeah, i got bad guys on the network. That's, that's not a response. That's not enough of a response. I needed to get back up and working. Otherwise, people can't get to work, and otherwise, people don't get heating and all the other stuff. So response has to include restoration. Otherwise, you know, it's like observing a problem and doing nothing about it, which is not the, not the path we should be going down. How should folks be setting their priorities and planning their resources to make this happen? 
Yeah, I met I met a, um, a DFIR company, a digital forensics incident response company, the other day, and they were doing this is a big one, right? They were doing like two or three thousand incident responses a year, and so the the you know as as we start to look at this problem, getting the business back up and running has a series of metrics that when a compromise has happened, whether it's ransomware or not, the metrics have to be tied. But from a security professional perspective, to getting the business back up and running. But you can only do that with, the, like I said earlier, the efficacy of uh, getting the, the forensics right so you know what you're restoring it, it is appropriate. Because otherwise, you're just going to go back to a known bad state. And you need to go back to a, to, you need to get to a good state very quickly. So the metrics will be tied to, some, to a certain extent to a cyber insurance policy. What did your policy say? And what is your business imperative? So like a company that we know is looking at Air Force substations as they get compromised. How fast can they get back up and running? That's a big deal, right? I guess it's one of those things that it sounds uh, like it, it takes one amount of effort in theory, but then, you know, it's, I guess it's that old thing and no plan survives contact with the enemy. Right. Yeah, you have to have a plan for it. And people talk about business interruption all the time, like if there's a misconfiguration and the server goes down because of a failed whatever. Um, cyber guys are obviously talk about that more and more and more. But in the world of the, the, the incident from a cyber perspective, business interruption is going to be a, a, a uh, and business um, restoration is going to be the terminology going forward. And Gartner is gradually changing that word response. They're actually using the word reconstruction now more. But it's it's got to get you know, more business for capital because they've got to get the business back up and running. Is this a matter of also making this easier for the folks at the board level to understand what we're talking about? Is this a word that resonates with them? It, it, it Absolutely, it does. I think this is a great part of, you know, a lot of the board reporting right now is, do I have the right controls in the right place doing the right things? You know, from a, from a, audit perspective, from an independent board member, from an auditor perspective, and from a CSO perspective. But the business continuity plan is not just, you know, um, hey, you know, this, this developer did something bad and this server got taken out. But it's also got a, you know, and it, will, and it does tie into incident response, but the measurement on business interruption and the, 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 the way that the cybersecurity companies have got to think about it differently. Because the life of the CISO, they've been talking about business continuity for ages. But the security companies, partly driven by Gartner, don't talk about getting the business up and running enough. That's my basic point. Mm. The CISO will talk about business continuity all the time. But the, the cybersecurity companies don't. And they've got to take that point and make the business come back quicker if there was an attack. Oh, and it's funny. It reminds me of an old friend of mine was a commercial... Uh, real estate insurance agent, and he said he would uh, ask his clients to imagine a wily e. coyote smoking hole in the ground, and start from there. You know, and he said that visualization often helped them sort of ground themselves as to, you know, what what do we need to prepare for possibly? Yeah, I mean, you can have all the best detection and prevention things in the world, but eventually you're going to get attacked. But it's the, well, my frustration is with the security vendors and uh, not with the CISOs, to be clear. They have to be more aligned with the business and talk about how they get somebody back up and running. All right. 
Interesting stuff as always. Tim Eads, thanks so much for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And finally, researchers at Nozomi have discovered 23 vulnerabilities in the Bosch Rexroth handheld nut runner a network-connected wrench used in factories around the world. These flaws could let hackers sabotage or disable the wrench, crucial for assembling sensitive instruments with precise torque levels. The Zomi says these vulnerabilities could allow unauthorized remote code execution with root privileges. In a wrench, hackers could potentially install ransomware. In a wrench... They could alter torque settings while displaying normal values to operators in a wrench. Bosch Rexroth acknowledged the issue and is working on a patch due for release in January 2024. While mass exploitation is unlikely, the risk of work stoppages or tampering with critical settings warrants installing patches when available. It seems, in this case... It's the wrench's security that needs a little tightening. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like the Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Stokes. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brendan Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler 
the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.